Hello and welcome to another episode of the St. George's Garden Stop, the official podcast of the Church of St. George the Martin in Kailstrober, alongside the chapelries of St. Mark and St. Monica. I am Lindsay Shooters, your host on this exploration of faith during this time of complex crisis. Um, yeah, the crisis is deepening in other ways. It's far beyond the pandemic now. We seem to be at the tail end of that, but other things are arising. And I am joined, as always, to speak about these things by the rector of our parish, the Archdeacon Rodney Whiteman. How are you today, sir? Hi, Lindsay. Uh, thanks very much. Yes, I, I tend to agree with you in one level that whilst we may be assumedly at the tail end of the pandemic, uh, this week, though, I heard um, of a two-year-old who's in ICU as a result of COVID. I heard of a fa- four-year-old who they took two weeks to test for pains in his body and only discovered at the end tail of the research that the child had, after all the blood tests, the child had, had COVID. Oh, wow. And he's, re- he's returning back to full health. But the two-year-old has had to have a new dose of um, antibiotics because the um, antibiotics that they gave the child, it seemed to. And then the parents of the of the baby, the two-year-old, told me that um, part of the study they have been now is that both of them are teachers and children, the, the, there's a spike in infections in children at schools um, and learning institutions. So um, I don't know Yeah. Uh, what do we say about all of that. Eh? But at least, at least the people aren't dying. At least there aren't hundreds of deaths a day. I'm, I'm always hopeful yeah. when I see that. Well, yes, I, a person does look for that. and um, But, you know, in, in a case such as this, and, and this is where I, you know, I, I don't know people say your time is your time. I suppose in one level that could be said in a pandemic, for example, or, or you know, any particular tragedy, um, you do think about it. You know, why, what does it, what does that mean? Um, when when caution could have been taken, uh, is not on the cards. Is it? So um, this this thing baffled my mind. Even when one person dies, yeah, it's one for me. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. No, that is that is the truth. Um, and then there was obviously the tragic stories of another death that was caused by a family member, a father who poisoned his children. That, that was a crazy story that came out this week. Yes. Um, uh, again, we've got to use the word purported or uh, alleged. Yes. <laughs> um, but apparently it's the father of the, of the children. Um, now again, you and I sit here on the sideline and say, what drove men to do that? Because... Um, we think it's just it just happens as a senseless act, but you know there's other emotions, there's other ev- other events playing off in a person's life. Yeah. So, but but when a child, when a child, a defenseless child, who trusts a parent, um, experiences that at the hands of the parent, you know, um, you know what. Wow. Why premeditatedly take it out on children as the target of your whatever it is? 
and not addressed to wherever it should have been addressed. Because how can children be our targets when, you know, there's innocence about them? Yeah. And even if they did something that disappointed us, it's not, uh, you know, the JSC won't crash. Um, the bread price won't go up because children happen to be naughty, you know? Mm. Um, so, yeah, there's much, there's a lot to be said. Um about that and can we ever stand in the seat of the judge at at all it's gonna it's, it's very difficult but how do we learn from this as a nation yeah but it, it also brings another kind of conversation to the fore which is the the conversation about forgiveness i see the theme that you've extracted is from the the first reading which is sirs what must i do to be saved <laughs> Um, and then one of the, the quotes that you pulled is, we sinned for no reason but an incomprehensible lack of love. And he saved us for no reason but an incomprehensible excess of love. So how do we as a society mm. even prepare to offer some sort of forgiveness or some kind of redemption, rehabilitation to if, if the, the facts do turn out to be correct? Yeah, I, I think, Lindsay... Um, you know, helping that person to 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 recognize what they did was obviously wrong. Yeah. To get that person to acknowledge the wrongness of what he had done, for that person to say sorry, uh, you know, to the children that have died, the boy that's still alive, hopefully he recovers, and to the mother of those children and the extended family. Because I think that's one of the bridges towards, if you, if you call it rehabilitation. Um, and for me, in the words, what must I do to be saved? Part of that, um, it links up with what Jesus said in the reading mm. uh, on, on Ascension Day, Luke 24, um, that the, the, the what must be proclaimed to the nation is repentance and forgiveness of sin. So that was the, 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 the mission statement, the mission activity, the mission proclamation for me coming out of the, coming out of the, um, the, the Ascension Day celebration. Yeah. And, and so that means that we look at both Luke and Acts. We both look at both Luke and Acts and see, for example, how... Jesus instructs them so that they are able to get that message across to all the nations, starting in Jerusalem, uh, Judea, Samaria, and all the ends of the earth. So you are right. Out of a tragedy like this, is that question a relevant one? Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Well, the contexts are different, but... Um, you know, it's a question that is is, is worth looking at. Uh, because what we are saying in one level, if we can really learn from this, then a tragedy like this may be avoided in the future. Yeah. Uh, if we are able to minister to that brother and the family um, appropriately. Uh, it, 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 it is a crazy one, but like... It also brought me to another kind of conversation because in, in the States there was a story of a pastor who 
committed adultery and it was like a public thing like he spoke his truth to the like from the pulpit and then the lady actually stood up in the in the congregation and was like no actually i was 16 at the time and it's been 27 years and it, it turned out to be like quite crazy then i was thinking about how do priests get forgiveness like could you continue being a priest after breaking like a commandment um i i think that i think normally the first response as a human being you know i mean i i always think about this lindsay we are we qualify we are, we can we become qualified in 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 a, in, a, in in knowledge in a particular field of study uh we got diplomas certificates and degrees to prove this yeah but how much of that which we learn changes how we think change how we do things and so would help of help us to stop entering into a kind of situation where we would exert power over a a a a person we could to- easily target as a victim um so the so so at the bottom of all of the knowledge we have is our human nature mm. um and our and when we all also attach ourselves to position then we also believe we are in a position of power so we we act god like uh, you know in in a situation where we where we using our position and power uh, uh, over people so when a person and the, the first thing is that look this thing comes out 20 years later yeah so that that victim i i listened to to it and i also reflected on it asking ourselves are we are we the church who worships and then it it leads to witnessing or are we the church that is stargazing and i used that example in my sermon because the in part of it for me was important as well when the had stood up for herself for support of her husband uh, none of the congregants really attended to her Mm. they saw now because she she revealed she was a victim the pastors now were victim so what did they do they went and laid hands on you that's a stargazing congregation that doesn't really take seriously the pains that even happen in the church we're a human body yeah so when a pastor goes out of sync and waits 6 years or sorry 20 years before they then um acknowledge their sins i mean that lady had to live with that trauma for 27 years and uh, and and the pastor gets to retire mm. so i think when you know there was a situation in our church some years ago when um the guy who was an assistant to the dean of the cathedral had again a, a position of power he had to look after the students and they bursary ran it an anniversary fund yeah and then he apparently um the lady had come to see him in his office uh, uh one of the students and then he decided that um he was going to seek a favor from her now there was no necessary allegation that he had actually had sex with her or, or raped her yeah but sexual misconduct became an issue because apparently a panties landed up in his pocket how i don't know but that was it and then the the the, the archbishop at the time said to him uh, brother 
I think it's best for you to, um, you know, take your punishment five years. Uh, we suspend you. Uh, after having listened to the victim and then his story, he decided he was going to take this matter to to a tribunal. Yeah. And the bishop said to him, you're going to lose this matter. And he did lose it. He lost uh, that. Um, so it was immediately sort of because the victim didn't keep quiet. She didn't wait. She went and reported him immediately. So then, of course, he lost his position. And now no diocese would touch him yeah. because he decided that the tribunal will be okay for him. Now, this pastor, his thing didn't come out, but he could say that I was party to others' disciplinary actions. Mm. So for 20 years, he lied whilst that victim was sitting in the congregation. Um, and, and I must say, I applaud uh, her, her and her husband's courage. Uh, but you see, the problem is now, does this weaken the witness of the Christian faith yeah. and the Christian church? Because we have, so we need to come down to the bottom. Though the, the church is supposed to be the body of Christ, there is so much woundedness that people don't own up to uh, and get healing for. Mm. And, um, and, and we also lack skills of discernment, um, you know, because we choose people who have narcissistic behaviorisms. We, we try to, to find a way not to get it there, but, but unfortunately you see it and then they, they break. I mean, I just want to give you an example. A colleague of mine said something about not being attending the meeting, a meeting with me. So I wrote back to him and I said, look, what, so what are you doing? So he said, doing this particular cause. I said back to him, I said, does the bishop know that this cause is being done by you because the diocese doesn't have such a cause and he's sanctioned by her. Yeah. Now, just to show you how, how, how that person tried to protect himself, he doesn't tell me, he, he doesn't tell me, no, I'd never, I'd never let the bishop see it, nor ask for her to sanction it. He goes on another tangent to tell me where he got the cause from. Yeah. So then I said to him, but you're not answering the question I'm asking. He still hasn't admitted that it's never been to the bishop. Although, now that I knew about it, he suddenly cancelled it and walked away. Because I said to him, we're going to leave people hurt in the wake of this thing because the bishop will not give a person a license for having done a course that she herself hasn't sanctioned with her chapter. Yeah. That hasn't gone through the dean of studies to have it checked. So, so this guy chooses not to answer my question. Do you, do you know why? Because he's, he, is, he is now needing to ensure that he doesn't lose face in any mm. way. So the meeting comes up, and in that meeting, I just get a sense that whenever I said something or whenever I agree to something, he stands up to oppose it. Yeah. So... So, I mean, I think we have, we have people whose display of narcissism are, is very real, but somehow we can't pin people down. Unfortunately, we, we not, unfortunately yes, it's going to be the narcissists and the arrogant and the, uh, those type A personalities who are going to rise to the top because you need a certain level of self-assurance <laughs> to progress in this world and to to make your mark. Would, would that mean that people choose the stages 
that they think would help them succeed. Yes. Uh, it's, like, it's like the Elon Musk situation where on the one hand, he's this amazing brain that could probably save the world <laughs> if he really, really, really put his mind to yeah. it. But on the other hand, he's a very loose cannon who who believes he's some form of God at the moment because of his of his wealth that he has accrued rightly because of the value he has added to society. Yes, I think I, I, I began to see his, his picture emerge more, suddenly speaking more, um, because wealth adds value in his mind to his humanity and salvific um, understanding of himself. But it was very interesting when he had spoke, spoken on not so long ago. He came up, he came up <coughs> in this whole issue with Johnny Depp and Amber Heard's court case. Yeah. And, um, and then the issue of him having, to, having asked for sexual favors of a um, flight attendant. Yes. And then saying that nothing happened but he paid it uh, a quarter million to keep quiet. And then suddenly, in the same breath, somewhere along the line, Tesla's one model car fails a test or something like that. doesn't live up towards the mark. So we must also realize that, you know, although money would be able to now stop fix that kind of breakdown, we must realize this is all part of the illusion yeah. that's created. Uh, you know, I mean, I, I really would like to know how the the background of the JSC works to be able to give us the front page picture. Okay. Where the manipulation goes on uh, <laughs> at the background, because all of this, uh, all of this is is narcissistic, because it's about profit, uh, and 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 it's about it's about you know words like. Um, that we 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 we're not calculating real stuff. We're calculating assumed narrative speculation. Yes. So now we know if we spill the beans in one way, that thing will go down and that shares will go up. So now we wait a little and we play another game at the back. So so somehow along the line, we are being manipulated in terms of our economy, uh, in terms of our politics in terms of the finances, in terms of our whole lifestyle, there's manipulation that many of us don't have a control of. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's the ugly truth about life. Uh, but here's some... If we turn to, to, to the Acts reading, there's, a, there's also a weird double edge to the story that never actually gets addressed. Um, so it's according to... It's the Acts of the Apostles... <laughs> Chapter 16, verses 16 to 34. So Paul and an unnamed and Silas, they are out and about, and they are followed by a young servant woman who had an evil spirit that enabled her to predict the future. And she earned a lot of money for her owners by telling fortunes. And then she points to them and shouts, These men are servants of the Most High. They announce to you how you can be saved. And she did this for many days until Paul had enough. And he turned to her and he said, In the name of Jesus Christ, I order you to come out of her. The spirit went out of her at that very moment. And then the owners got really upset because obviously they're not going to be making money anymore. 
And then they get the Roman officials to chuck Paul and Silas in jail. And the jailer um, has a bit of a, an epiphany. Um, there's an earthquake. The gates fall. The gates fall off. And he's about to kill himself because he's now thinking that the prisoners have escaped. And then he's like, and then Paul says, no, whatever. And then he leads them out and he asks, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they answer, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your family. So there's two things at play here. The jailer is now takes them home and the whole family, they pray and they become Christian. They now believe in God. But the jailer is still going to be killed. Is he not for freeing the prisoners? Yeah, I think I think that the the assumed legislation in his mind, the, the ruling principle in his mind, these guys who or these people who were brought into prison, it's your responsibility to ensure that they do not run away. Yeah. They don't have any way of fleeing. So Paul, I think, helps him to realize he doesn't need to harm himself for this purpose. And that it would seem as if the rest of the prisoners themselves had an epiphany because they never chose to run away, even though they may have been guilty of any form of crime that that had been going on. So um, so I, I don't think, based on the fact that nobody ran away, that he probably wouldn't have been killed. But this is just my assumption in that we don't hear of that of the, such an event taking place. Yeah, I, I because think this, this there is a, a narrative. Murdered, um, <laughs> when he, I think he gets really? executed. I, I don't think so because he goes home to his family and, and, and there's joy in the home, not fear. But the next morning uh, when the Roman fear officials... Not for what, you know, could have been, yeah. But the next so, morning... So I think that... They, the officials yes. figure out, oh, wow, this dude has just been freeing prisoners. Um... <laughs> How about we just chop his head off for being crap at his job? Do you think Do you think they would have done that? Does the text say that? The text doesn't say that, but that's what I'm thinking. Because if he was willing to kill, commit suicide for not doing his job, surely there's a reason for that kind of fear. All right. So if you if you one of those officials, would you have to go on to inspect the jail? Would yeah. Yeah. Those that were working with him on that shift have had enough time to fix up what had been of course, uh, broken down, the doors opening. So would Paul and Silas have said, okay, look, we're not going to take the hike? Or would he have said, if the gates were just flung open, could he? Could they then just close the gates and, and, and as it were, it goes on? Because um, it's very interesting that he then takes Paul and Silas to his house. Now, would they have returned to the prison cell after that? I suppose his home was probably in the quarters where they worked and lived. So, um, but the possibility exists that he, that could have been the ramifications. Uh, however, there was a sense in which him and his family were conne connected and it would seem as if their house was filled with joy. Would therefore, this is my um, thesis, would therefore, based on now that they believed in God, he'd be willing to face whatever it is he had to face. Now, no longer by his own hands, but by, um, you know, the, the issue of the, of, 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 of the law that he, that he had to work under. Yeah. I don't know. Um, maybe for me, that's more 
credible way of looking at this. What what is having your life filled with joy, your family filled with joy, uh, you know, and and your faith now deep in God? Would that be in a sense? Okay, death can come uh, if it needs to come. It comes, and but I'm in the space where I want to be. Okay, uh, that was a, that was a decent response. Uh, <laughs> I, I will allow it. <laughs> uh, but then moving on to um, John's Revelation, chapter 22, verses 12 to 14, 16 to 17, and 20 to 21. I'm going to go down to verse 14. Happy are those who wash their robes clean and so have the right to eat the fruit from the tree of life and to go through the gates into the city. And then every and then I, Jesus, have sent my angel to announce these things to you in the churches. I am descendant of the family of David. I am the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come. Everyone who hears this must also say, come. So first question is, I like this as a bookend to Genesis. Because Genesis, <laughs> we man eats of the tree of knowledge and then... It's cast out of the garden, but here you eat of the tree of life and you go into the city, which is it's an amazing just journey, narrative journey from the beginning of the Bible to, to mm. the end. Um, very, very well done to the editors there. Uh, but then this, mm. this idea of come. Um, it is very interesting. I was in a conference one day where they were talking about where somebody's uh, a thesis was helping us to understand how, uh, and I learned this when I was at seminary, but this guy's take was a bit new. Um, <coughs> our New Testament professor or, or lecturer would say to us, the Bible is like a, a pearl necklace. Okay. They stand both on their own, each of the documents, but they connect. So there's... They, they tell their story about the whole story. Yeah. And, and um, do, do, uh, taking up what you said, this is a nice look into the Genesis narrative. This is exactly what this guy informs us, how it starts in a garden and as it were, almost as it were, ends in a garden. Um... Uh, um the presence of God at the beginning, the presence of God in the invitation of fellowship with Jesus, uh, uh, with God, um, Adam, where are you? The invitation, uh, which is a, the beautiful um, Greek word, Maranatha, yeah. come, said Jesus, come, Lord Jesus. So that invitation to come and be part of community, the sense of the garden as a place of, of community where things were ordered. Um, the man got his partner, God was there, and the rest of creation. And then at the end, it's about community as well. So he did, he, he did give us a sense of the continuity of the way the editors of the scripture laid out the, um, the, uh, the, 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 the canon of scripture to tell the whole story. Like the pearl necklace, mm. each tells the story. It's part of the whole story, but in telling it's part of the whole story, it's also part of the whole story. Mm. 
Uh, I actually didn't read the, the, the most impactful line here, which is, Come, whoever is thirsty, accept the water of life as a gift, whoever wants it. So, this is John seeing the end days, right? And all of humanity is now going to go into the city or at least have the, the option to do so. So, is this invitation truly open to everybody, or is it just open to Christians? I, I don't think any part of Scripture is just for Christians. I think the Bible is a message for everybody. Um, I've no doubt in my mind that that is that the intention of, of, of the inspiration that Scripture gets from God. Mm. So, I would be fraught to think that this that the Bible is exclusively just for for Christians. Because when I like I like it when when it says uh, whoever, mm. whoever. So in a way, when you are able to be embraced by that message, if you all of us in one way or the other is a whoever. That's an inclusive term. You decide whether you want this one. You hear the message. Um, so there's no conditions to who you are. But if you are thirsty, then come. And then when you thirst, you need to, to be open to accepting the water of life as gift. Not something like in the Acts of the Apostles where they wanted to charge for... The, the miracles or whatever the fortunes that were told here is a free gift of life that is given by God. So, uh, in and, and that has really been given to us uh, in such a way that, uh, you know, like, 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 like Ascension, they had a line in its uh, colleagues um, that by the ascending, Jesus took our humanity before the throne of God. So, so in the, in this, what's his name? Uh, our full humanity. So whoever uh, is not peculiar to a racial group, a faith-based organization, or any other um, a, a sense of community that's exclusive here on earth, mm. it's, it's inclusive of whoever would, be, would hear this message, whoever would want to believe this message, and whoever would want to take the message deeper into their hearts. This is for them. Now, the question, of course, is how do you preach that? Because I, I, I would find it very difficult to say that Revelations uh, necessitates the end-time um, phenomena. Mm. Because this was, this was a pastor having had a vision whilst he was in prison on an island alone. And God had drawn him into this. And that message that he was giving was for those who was, were, were his congregants and whoever else was being persecuted um, by the emperor in, 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 in Rome and beyond. So it was a message of hope to them. It wasn't, uh, in a way, what he's saying, there will be an end to the oppression. Mm. There will be an end to, 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 um, to the rule and reign of people who, who create classism, who create racism and enforce it on you. Uh, people who would want to rob, want to get rich by robbing you. And so this was, was an, but it wasn't just hope for heaven. It was hope to be lived now. Yeah. You know, Isaiah 40 tells us 
those who wait in hope on the Lord. Where are we supposed to wait in hope on the Lord? In our current context of the world, of our lives and all that. So, <clears throat> and I would actually want to suggest that if we if we put the, this, this uh, alongside other narratives, isn't there in all faith-based uh, a narrative a sense that there's both uh, the, the futuristic hope has realities in the present existence of life. Mm-hmm. So, in in the Christian in the Christian theology, when we talked about the kingdom of God, which was the theme of Jesus' sermons, was that we're talking about something that's futuristic, but something that has a, a, a present acclaim as well. Yeah. Um, and so, I think that we need to preach this as inclusively as we can because look, the invitation come whoever is thirsty you you're talking this to a you're proclaiming this to as as jesus said for the for the reading of of ascension day so that all nations may hear this proclamation that there's repentance and forgiveness of sins so the nations that jesus knew at the time must be inclusive of the nations that you and i currently are aware of the, the, the state of the nations that we are aware of. And so when it is to be proclaimed, the message is never concealed to a pulpit in, in a parish with sealed doors and four walls around it. And only for those who are sitting there to hear it, it's got to be proclaimed in such a way. That's why Jesus said, you are witnesses of these things. Mm. And we saw what happened on, the, on, Pentecost, on Pentecost Day. After they was, were empowered by the Spirit, they went and spoke into a context where there were people from every nation, almost as it were, hearing what the the concept, the, the 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 word of God in their own language. So even there, um, inclusive of language, um, you know, the message gets brought out. So I would want to say. This is never the Bible is never a concealed message for Christians. Although, yeah. although that is the impression one gets from some people. It it is. You know, one it, pastor it in last week, <clears throat> one pastor last week said the the scriptures as he understand it says that if you're voting geo if you're voting for the Democratic Party, you are bound for hell. <laughs> and if you're demo and if you're democratic right now then leave the church. That's what he said. Oh my gosh. We haven't even touched on the school shooting in the States, but I don't actually want to because it's not our, our story to kind of speculate about. It's our story to mourn. Yes. To weep and to pray about. Yeah. Well, to mourn and <laughs> to wonder when the US are going to ever fix their situation Um yeah, that, that was quite a tragedy. But moving on to the, the gospel, which is according to John chapter 17, verses 20 to 26. So, interestingly enough, verse 21 was the one that I focused on. Uh, but it is also the official motto of the YMCA, um, which I found just to be a fascinating <laughs> little, <laughs> that they all may be one is the official motto of the YMCA. Um, so next time you are 
jamming out to a little bit of village people, just remember that it is all rooted in Christianity. Um, and it, it, Christianity accepts all, or at least it should. Um, at least that's, that's what I believe. That's why I allow my children to, to become Christians. But here you have, this is just before the betrayal. So this is before the Garden of Gethsemane, um, when Jesus asks about the cup and whether it can be taken from him, and he has all those insecurities, but he, he dishes a little bit here. So I'll go from, from verse 20. I ask, not, I ask not only on behalf of these, but also on behalf of those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. So this for me is the first time. And, and I, I went to go do some reading. And to me, it is the first time that Jesus asks a question about his legacy. So it's like a moment of uncertainty from someone who knows the future. Why would he, he ask these questions now? Why would there be this, this just this little blip, just this little lack of confidence that the world will believe that Jesus was the Son of God? I think if we attach this to John sixteen, so sorry, John three sixteen, God's uh-huh. love the world that He sent His only Son, that all who come to faith in Him may not perish but have an everlasting life. Verse seventeen, God sent His Son to judge it, but uh, or not condemn it, but to redeem the world. So Jesus had that on His mind, that um, that the mission that God sent Him on, this mission of love, love that saves that. <clears throat> that reconciles itself with the one who has broken the accord of love and uh, love that is forgiving enough to be reconciled to. So Jesus always had on his mind the world. Now, when you think of the of the globe, the, or the or, uh, you know the inclusivity of of the global village, mm-hmm. you have to start at one point, and you start where you are. Such as you know, in the um, Ascension Day narrative of Acts, um, or or in Luke, begin in Jerusalem. Why do you begin where you are, and then as you've planted the seeds of hope there, you then begin to spread out <coughs> to other nations. Remember, somebody would have heard you. Like we're going to read in Acts later on, how the Ethiopian comes, and he is moved and touched by Philip. Uh, and the Holy Spirit, and then we now know that Ethiopia plays a huge role in the in the in the in the in, in the Israelite tradition as well as in um, Christianity, as it as it were. Mm. So, so so Jesus inevitably understood that yes, whilst he was the one who would start the mission, while he was the one who was in, 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 uh, forming the disciples to be the group that would form that would then be inspired by the Spirit now that they've gone through the three years of being with Him and learning from Him and, and, and needing the Spirit to sort of confirm what He had spoken would now be the ones empowered to go out and through us He would then reach others. So inevitably to believe that you sent me now, this is where the centrality of Jesus comes in to all faiths. Jesus is the savior of all people. 
some some people say Jesus is the man for others, and those others are not limited to people of his own culture or race. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, wh- why would it be important for people to know him that he specifically is sent by the Father? What was Jesus claiming? And this is where there's conflict now. If we go to John 14 mm-hmm. and we read uh, that passage, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Anyone who believes in me comes to the Father. Now, now the, 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 the challenge of that text would be, is there any other way then to God? Because that's what we're now grappling with, aren't we? Because there is so many other faiths or other ways to God. Why would... Uh, this is this this be uh, uh, would Jesus be the proper way to God, mm. not necessarily the only way to God. But this is the challenge we have, and how we as Christians have to minister this, that the world may believe that you have sent me. Um, has anybody else been sent from the Father? Has anybody else made that claim? And why was it important then? for our faith to believe that he is sent by the Father. Because look, the way you look at Jesus from the perspective that you have, um, you're saying, yes, he was historical, yes, he had much to teach us, but this was not based on a divine thing, yeah. as much as it was based on his own philosophy. And therefore, that's what that's what your mind would say about Jesus. And you used the word earlier on that he left his legacy in this way. Yeah. So um, remember, we are we we're looking at words that are formed in a prayer. Yeah. Um, Jesus is interceding in this way. Jesus is praying to the Father about this, and he is conversing with the Father about what his desire is. Hopefully, that's the Father's desire. Having, uh, you know. He still has, he still, as you said earlier, he still has to drink the cup uh, that has the bitter, bitter cup that he yeah. pal challenged about. Um, but, uh, you know, um, God, when I'm asking you this, will you make this possible uh, by using these people whom I have, you know, I think he does talk about in John's Gospel that all that I have, I have chosen, you know, you have chosen except the son of sedition. Uh, and of course, now there becomes words of exclusion. Why not Judas? Indeed. Uh, and so there's a whole question around that in our in our debates. So you see, we can't just read this these things unattached to one another. There's a connection between these. So you you see, I, in the one gospel, I raised three texts that would say, how did this all, how does this, what does this all mean, in fact, for, given the, the, the Judas thing? So, so what was Jesus helping us to see in this prayer, which is identified in Christian theology as the high priestly prayer of Jesus? Why was it necessary that the world may believe that I was sent by you? Why, uh, my question now is more about on. why why he thinks <coughs> yes go on why he would express a doubt that the world will believe like why the show of praying to the father like this is <laughs> this is someone who's claiming he's the son of god this is a dude who has 
probably seen how everything plays out. So, like, it's the exclusion of Judas for no real reason, um, as we have discussed in the past. Um, and knowing what the legacy is going to be, why the question about the legacy? There's no guarantee that people would fully believe for faith is a journey that has to be made by each one of us. Oh, an exploration. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, this is what we're doing in terms of this podcast. You, you, have, you have highlighted it as such. So, so you are you are dealing now with um, where you know. Remember that story, um, which is probably a parable and not necessarily historical. Jesus told of Lazarus, who was who had sores licked by the dogs as he sat outside in hunger at the rich man's uh, house, who lavishly ate and spilled food in such a way that the dogs were able to feed off the rich man's table. And Lazarus dies and goes to heaven, uh, to the bosom of Abram, and uh, the rich man dies too. And the chasm between heaven and hell now is able to say to Abram, you know, I don't want the rest of my family here where I am. Why don't you send somebody? to go and convince them. And, 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 and Abram said there's already people there that are trying to get, help them to come to that, to that faith. So what does that story tell us then uh, about the fact that, um, you know, there are people who will be reluctant to change, people who will argue why they would not change? Because you see, don't we all have that selfishness about it? If I'm going to change, what must I give up? If I become a Christian, what must I give up of, of the world if I'm not going to be distracted? I don't think it's much about giving up. It's about how does the Christian mindset then help us to utilize what has been placed in our laps, not for selfish gain, but to be able to also improve and better the other people's lives in the world. And that could be part of the gospel message of inclusivity, of sharedness, of hospitality, of love uh, and concern, so that I'm not, I'm not living in a state of comfort whilst my sisters and brothers are forced to live in abject poverty. Mm. So... Um, so those are the kind of things that I'm asking myself the question. And, you know, there's probably been a lot of debate about uh, can a Christian be a capitalist? Can a Christian be a socialist? Can a Christian be a communist? You know, all of those um, of those ideologies that float around. And is Christianity therefore, if, Christ, if ideology does not necessarily mean that I'm definitely changed and following a particular route, Ideologists mean that I may have something in my mind to think that's how it's going to be, not necessary. But is Christianity a philosophy of change, of conversion, mm. of salvation that all the other, the other philosophies cannot and does not have the capacity to, to offer salvation? And if it's about salvation for the Christians, then what does that mean in terms of that the world may believe that you sent me. How yeah. does that then carry itself into that kind of what's? I mean, that's why the church has to look at itself. 
because all the struggles that others go through, the church of necessity have to go through. When the world is pained by economics, the church will also be pained by economics. If the world is in a state of war and and, and, and pandemic, the church must also find itself in that malaise, if that's what it's, it's about. Because all of that which the church is called to be is to ensure that others will know and come to believe that God sent Jesus. Why? Because we are here in the incarnation of our Lord. His name shall be called Jesus because he will save his people from their sin. He's not on a mission of condemnation. He's on a mission of salvation. And what does salvation therefore mean for the world? And you know, we have, for example, the incidences of um, of of the inclement weather in Durban, mm. natural disaster that claimed lives. Now you have emergency teams going out to see if they can still save people from possible death. Yeah. Sadly, sometimes people die in those uh, in events. We don't know why. We don't know how. We, we weep with those who have to weep because of that death. The children you spoke about po- allegedly poisoned by their dad. What goes on t- into his mind that instead of seeking salvation, and I'm purposely using that term, what must I do to be saved, so that I don't, that I don't wound my children, Mm. Why did he not ask that question? What question was floating through his mind? Why did he not believe that Jesus came and children mattered to our Lord? Why was that not in his mind? Um, the shootings in America. Um, what was in an 18-year-old mind? Uh, <clears throat> and so we can go through everything. But you see, that's why you can't just assume you know. It's a journey of discovery. A journey of crap with the issues um, and so to think that we I mean what we can definitely I know I have no doubt in my mind but we can definitely say coming out of the text that Jesus meant good for us not bad mm. and for me here is somebody that I can embrace and follow because I think for me and for others whom I'm called to serve he, ha- he holds a message of hope, perhaps beyond hopelessness. Yeah, I, I, I think I believe with, I, 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 can, I can agree with, with that kind of vision because the follow-up question is important. Do you then, can you then say that salvation is available to all who not necessarily prescribe to the idea of Jesus, but who love the values. Because, and I've, I've said it before, a lot of times to me, <laughs> like Christians are, you know, are quite weak because they need this, this yeah. idea of a savior to model themselves upon instead of just being a good person. You know, somebody in the office the other day said, um, in our conversation, that's a, part of it was playful, but part of it was real. 
She said, but you know, I'm just a sinner. I said, yes, but let's put perspective on this. Mm-hmm. You, you are a sinner saved by grace. That changed the perspective of how she looked at herself. I, if I didn't feel the compulsion to say to her, if you're just going to say I'm a sinner, then so then what happens? Mm. You can use that as a crutch and therefore not take responsibility because you're a sinner. But Jesus came to change the perspective. We are sinners, but we are saved by grace. So the possibility of us dealing with what le- lead me not into temptation, the, the prayer of our Lord, um, that then be able to help us deal with the, the sin in our lives and the sin in the world. So we can speak into that. So I think there is a, the, 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 be, having a sense of being saved by God, some Christians use as a tool to put them on a higher pedestal than those they think are not saved. Now, when Jesus went to the cross and said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do, and he died on that cross, for who was he dying? And for who was he pleading forgiveness? And when his death was completed, the act of grace was com- had, com- had completed and therefore salvation became available to everyone through Jesus Christ. So having accepted him as my savior, having accepted what he does and trying to follow his teachings doesn't place me on a better level than anybody else. I am still a sinner. I'm prone to sin. So I can never say I'm better off than the next person. But what I, it's, it's what one person said, <clears throat> you know, when a, two beggars are in search of survival, they, one will find food and the other may find food, the other may not find food. So, so somebody coined it like this, um, Archbishop George Carey, he said, evangelism, sharing the gospel, telling people of the good news that we are sinners saved by grace. Um, because of the act of Jesus on the cross for us. He said, it's like one beggar telling the other beggar where the bread is. (laughs) So though I may have bread, I may not always have bread. And so therefore I must share because tomorrow somebody, that brother, may find that which I'll be looking for. So for us to then condemn people because they don't think the same way, like going back to that pastor who now that the scriptures tell him that anybody who votes democratic will go to hell. He made a definite statement out of scripture. You can't just do that. You can't make blanket statements yeah. about the love of God that excludes people. Jesus says very clearly that the world may believe. Why is he interested in the world when we, I mean, I, I preach that at, 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 um, at funeral services and I often say, using John 14, Jesus says to the disciples, as I believe he says to all of us, um, uh, I'm going to prepare a place for you. I, you know, I, I will go back and come and take you to myself so that you can be where I am. So I said, you know, why is it that Jesus is interested that in having me and you and everyone 
up there, wherever heaven is, but in the eternal presence of the Father, that He will make every effort to do the work and prepare the way for us, prepare a place for us and come and, and also show us of coming to get us, to take Him to be where, where He is. He wants to spend that time with us as miserable sinners as we are. He wants to do that, but here on earth, we are trying to keep one another out of heaven by our condemnations and our judgments and our exclusiveness. Somewhere along the line, we are not reading the scriptures where you should be reading it together to be able. That's why I value you, my brother. You're helping me read things about scripture that perhaps I wouldn't have been able if I was only with those who thought in uh, the similar way that I did. Yeah. And therefore, I can, I can boldly make the statement that you and I are both on a journey of faith, maybe from different perspectives. But we are in, in the terminology you use, exploring faith in a time of crisis. Could, you know, it's such an inclusive statement. It is. And it, it's just that the definition of, of that faith that is being explored, that, that then is the difference. Because faith is belief. And I have my own belief systems that might not be the same as yours, but it's all fine. We must explore our belief systems. We must find our blind spots and we must kill all holy cows. Yeah. <laughs> but you see, uh, yeah, exactly. But here we are listening to each other and mm. not downing each other because what you say sounds different to what I may believe. Yeah. I'm trying to make connections where I am coming from, to try and embrace where you are coming from. Where I have to disagree, I need to disagree. Mm. Where I have to say that, that, that sort of is on par where I am, I have to say that. And also, our journey in this exploration of faith has been to say, this podcast is not about Anglicans. Yeah. And it's not specifically about just the church, the Christian church. It's about faith because every one of us have belief systems, no matter who we are and where we belong. Mm. And so we believe in uh, different persuasions of, of, of materialism, but we also have strange ways of coming up with what our spirituality is all about. And that's what makes, that's part of being human. We're always going to search for the unknown. We're always going to search for the mystery. We're always going to search. And, and the way we search is that we are in conversation with each other. Mm. And I think that is a wonderful way to leave it this week. Thank you very much for this conversation. Thank you for listening to this conversation. Yes. Please approach us with any further conversations that you might want to have. Um, as always, in the show notes um, in the podcast app of your choice that you are thinking, you will find the choice passages from the readings and the prayers. Thank you very much, Father Rodney. Thanks. Uh, I appreciate you, my brother. Love to your family. And thank you all for tuning in. We love you and God bless.